0: Welcome to Prep Talk, the Emergency Management Podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness. Get all the latest tips from experts in the field. And learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the Emergency Management Department in the city that never sleeps.
1: Here are your hosts. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Ira Tannenbaum.
0: And I'm Allison Panisi. And you are our listeners. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to listen to Prep Talk on your favorite podcast provider. You can also follow us on social media on our Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and much more. In this episode, we are talking about Big City Emergency Managers, a nonprofit organization that brings together emergency management leaders from across the country. It's designed to share best practices and ensure these areas can better prevent, prepare for, respond to, and recover from emergencies. I also want to welcome back Ira Tannenbaum, who has been a guest on Prep Talk and will be serving double duty for this important conversation.
1: Thank you, Allison. It's good to be back. I'm also thrilled to welcome our guests, who are not only part of Big City Emergency Managers, but are leading some of the nation's largest metropolitan areas, preparedness, response, recovery, and mitigation efforts. Please welcome Mark Sloan, coordinator for Harris County Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, and Mary Ellen Carroll, executive director for the San Francisco Department of Emergency Management.
0: Thank you, Mark and Mary Ellen for being here. Let's get started. Uh, We like to say that at the heart of emergency management is coordination. Can you tell our listeners how Big City Emergency Managers achieves this? And can you share with our listeners how participating in this organization supports this goal? Ira, why don't we start with you?
1: So, participating in Big City Emergency Managers is an opportunity for us to baseline and gather information about some of the major events or issues that are facing all of our colleagues and understand what some of the best minds are thinking about, but also to help us be able to, to share with our leadership in City Hall uh, and other elected officials what our colleagues across the country are thinking about a similar issue. It gives us the ability to connect with states, but most importantly, with the federal government, uh, working directly with cities, because most emergency management typically happens between the federal government and the states. And so this gives us a, a great chance to have, uh, hear directly from our partners about uh, what, they're, what they're considering and what their issues are. Great. Mark? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be
2: with you today. Uh, Ira, it's great to hear you again, um, and the partnership that we have with uh, New York City and the Emergency Management Office. As being the uh, coordinator for Homeland Security Emergency Management in Harris County, Texas, um, it gives us this opportunity to come together from all parts of this country, from counties and large metropolitan areas like New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, Seattle, Boston, all the way to Miami and San Diego and Los Angeles to come together and talk about these issues that Ira mentioned that confront us each and every day from weather events to man made disasters and emergencies to potential homeland security related issues. And the Big City Emergency Managers allows us the opportunity to sit down face to face with each other to share our best practices, but also with our federal partners to understand how they're going to help us in the event that something does occur, that we can become better prepared and be able to respond and recover more effectively for the residents that reside within our communities. So again, I appreciate being here today.
0: Thank you. We're thrilled to have you. Mary Ellen. Thank you.
3: And and also, I'm so happy to be here. I agree with both of my colleagues, so I, I, will, I will just echo their comments. And, you know, I think it also especially after the last 2 years but but certainly after all of the challenges that that we experience as emergency managers it is a really unique opportunity and benefit to, to to discuss our shared experiences and really talk about our last meeting you know we really talked about sort of how things have changed and whether for emergency management and whether or not like it's for the better or the worse um, since COVID, in particular. So it, it's a it's a safe place um, where we can talk about these things with people who uniquely understand uh, where we uniquely understand each other. And there really isn't another place or forum or group that I, that I feel like I have that. So um, I learn so much from uh, my colleagues every time and. And I'll also add that we have a emerging leaders program that we put our staff through. I think Ira is a alumni, and you know they also talk about the incredible networking that comes from this. So um, we are dis- come from disparate states, and some of us are counties, and some of us are cities. Uh, but we um, we learn a lot, and we're able to I think leverage all of our experience to. You know, better bring that back to our own um, constituents.
1: You're right, Mary Ellen. I'm a proud alum of Class 01 for the Emerging Leaders Program of BCEM, and it has been a uh, and it was a, a great experience, and and uh, made many uh, developed many relationships that have uh, lasted for years. You know, we having having the, the two of you on this uh, podcast representing both uh, Texas and California, all the way across uh, the U.S. Uh, we know that uh, larger municipalities or jurisdictions uh, share similar characteristics, but you also have unique hazards or complexities uh, based on on your location or or your, or your community. So, what would you say is the uh, biggest challenge that your your respective areas face? Let's start with you, Mary Ellen.
3: Thanks, Ira. Yeah, I I, I think that um, there's many. Uh, San Francisco, uh, I think, really weathered. Covid in in a way that we're very proud of. Uh, we took very early and aggressive actions, and you know have a very low uh, mortality rate compared to some other cities, many other cities, and so that's things we're very proud of, of course. But there ha- there are huge impacts from our long shutdown and. Um, and we're experiencing those now. So, you know, just to kind of list probably the top three or four homelessness, uh, which has always been a challenge for us in San Francisco was certainly exacerbated and continues um, to be a challenge, uh, much more tricky to address the issue of uh, the challenges for people experiencing homelessness uh, when you have the constraints of a pandemic and an infectious disease. Opioid and fentanyl crisis, which I cannot tie directly to COVID, but um, I think that there are tentacles to that, if nothing else than, you know, sort of the trauma and desperation that many people endured during this pandemic. The change in business and in our urban settings, not having activated downtowns, businesses not returning, and really. Employees not returning because of these, you know, folks still working at home. We have a large tech industry here and that industry has not returned and is uniquely positioned to be remote, to work remotely. So, you know, we're trying to come back and be innovative. But I would say, you know, those three sort of health and societal issues and then just, you know, really trying to jumpstart. And then, and then I'll just finally add, you know, we're also seeing an increase, as we're seeing across the country, but, you know, an increase in crime. I, I, I really tie a lot of this back to just, you know, a lot of desperation that people feel and, and having get got out of this. So our kind of day-to-day problems are much more exacerbated, I think, post-COVID than they were before.
1: Mark, before. how about you? You know, Mary
2: Ellen, I, I can, you know, equate. A lot of the issues that you're having that are very similar across the country, you know, during, you know, this COVID, and which is the longest activation of our emergency operations center in history, I think for all of us and, and the things that have gone on. And on that day, March 2nd of, of 2020, when we brought everybody together to activate, I reminded everyone in there that our lives were going to change uh, during this particular incident to know what was going to happen or how we're going to come out of this um, is still something that we deal with today. And it's going to be something that we're going to deal with as we move forward. Our EOC was activated 44 times for other issues from flooding, tropical weather, hazardous material issues along the ship channel, uh, protests, uh, the other uh, issues that constantly are invading our our time that we spend in planning and preparation which I call game day uh, is what we do as emergency managers along with a winter storm that impacted Texas which never has happened to the magnitude of Yuri uh, before now I'm dealing with staff issues I'm dealing with morale issues I'm dealing with the community wanting to, Listen to government, and and overcoming those challenges during uh, this crisis. So there's a lot of things that are tangential that we have to manage. And as you mentioned, Mary Ellen, you know there there are things that are societal that people are desperate. You know, there's loss of jobs, uh, homelessness, Um, and you know there isn't one thing that says that emergency managers are responsible for. We are a Uh, a solution preparedness partnership provider that helps create those solutions for our elected officials. But it's also something that our community expects from us and that they deserve. And uh, that's an ongoing effort and uh, and a constant challenge during uh, the COVID crisis, along with every other thing that we have been dealing with.
0: Absolutely. You both bring up excellent points here. I would say it cannot be overstated how much the COVID-19 pandemic has affected every part of our nation. And I know that you both have touched on the cascading impacts that your respective jurisdictions um, have faced, but let's dive a little deeper here. How are you uh, facing these challenges head on? Uh, Mary Ellen, let's start with you.
3: Yes, thank you. Um, we We have a significant Opioid fentanyl crisis in San Francisco. A higher number of people have died from fentanyl overdoses than than COVID in San Francisco during the pandemic, and thousands have been saved by Narcan. So um, we have a particular part of the city that is uh, the Tenderloin that's particularly impacted, and so the mayor's office asked me and my team to come in and. Tackle this crisis from an emergency management perspective and organization, and that is what we're doing. Uh, It is very complicated and challenging in ways that COVID wasn't. In some, there's parts of COVID that seem simpler. I think, in part, because everyone was on board during COVID. It was a global pandemic. There was no question about the existence of a disaster and the and and the clear focus and priority right now we're kind of doing this in the middle of our reopening and trying to get back to life you know really drawing on our lessons learned drawing on our experience and and our relationships developed during during the pandemic to tackle this crisis head on in San Francisco so it's kind of a first for us to take on Something like this, with the lead being the Department of Emergency Management, but we're honored to do so. And just a lot of coordination continued, right? So, you know, in the beginning, you talked about coordination and how, you know, BCM gives us that. And I've talked and written about this. I think there is a really renewed appreciation for the very specific expertise and skill that we bring to both problem definition and problem solving uh, and coordination that we discussed as a group we're seeing across this country. Um, and so that's, that's what we're bringing to bear. The, the challenge of that, we also have talked about quite a bit is emergency management in general is usually not super well-resourced. Certainly we are not as real, resor- real well-resourced as a fire department or law enforcement or public health. And so I think that's one of the biggest challenges um, for us. And we're we're trying to address that uh, here in San Francisco.
0: Thank you for that. And I just want to go back to something that Mark has been quoted as saying, because you talked about this, about how helping to eradicate a major public health crisis and a major social crisis in, in your area. Um, one thing that Mark has said before, he said that the role and responsibility of emergency managers is evolving and changing and must strive to meet the needs of all disaster survivors. And I think that this is a testament to what you're doing in San Francisco. But I would like to turn the tables over to Mark to um, ask the same question about cascading impacts and facing these challenges um, that Harris County is currently facing.
2: Well, for us here in, uh, you know, in the Houston area, Uh, in Texas, where we're at, you know, things that that we're looking at is the cascading effects of COVID is the economic ramifications of this. And I see that across the country, you know, where cities may be relying on uh, tax revenues or sales revenues. Um, And then there's property taxes and other things. And all of those things are going to be affected and not evenly across the country. And some of it's going to take time to see that the impacts of that. We're seeing that now with supply chain of the global market in which we depend upon, and the inability to produce various portions of our supply chain uh, that are critical to a variety of our uh, markets, including vehicles or food supply, uh, fuel supply to. Numerous other things, even our cellular phones um, that we depend on global market for, are being affected by this. So those are some of the crisis uh, cascading effects of COVID. The trust in messaging from government is has been something that we're all witnessing, and it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It does none of that. It's just trust in what are I being told and what action do I need to take and why do I believe what I'm being told? And, you know, so those are things that we have to build upon in order for our residents to understand that when we say, this is what we know, this is what we want you to do and be able to support that with timely, accurate, actionable information that they can trust. The other part of this is building a partnership with our health authorities. In certain parts of the country, they've been strong. In other parts of the country, they were a silo and not part of what the emergency management community needed. And I think that those things are being bridged and that gap is closing. And the last part of this is when do we transition from a crisis to a more normal environment? Sooner or later, we're going to have to Go to where we can manage this within our health community, our hospital systems, and our public health authorities to be able to get us to a new normal so that we can move forward and resolve some of the issues that exist from supply chain and the economic impacts on our personal lives, as well as within our local governments.
0: Thank you for that. All very important points. Um, Shifting gears a little bit. Um, Besides the pandemic, can you each share with our listeners a lesson learned from a crisis that you carry through your work today? I'm going to turn it to Mary Ellen to start.
3: Thank you. I I think that there have been various crises that both I've experienced professionally and personally. The, The biggest thing is just an ability to remain calm. It's actually a physiological thing, I think, that you have to learn. There may be some people that are born with it, but to to pause before you act. And the greatest image of responding to, you know, an emergency, you know, could be, you know, someone, a firefighter running into a fire or, or law enforcement or anyone, you know, like you see someone in danger and you go. And I think in emergency management, you know, first of all, we're not supposed to necessarily be the... Uh, The operations folks who are there, but because we have to coordinate and bring people together in a crisis, for me, it's always been being able to pause, and even if it feels like it is a slowing down, always it is better when you can kind of take a take a beat, get everyone to kind of take a step back for a second, and then decide what the next step is. And I know that's a fairly that's a generalization, but I I think that it applies for any crisis, both personal, professional, large or small. Can't wait to hear what Mark has to say about that.
2: Well, Mary, (laughs) I always learn
3: something from Mark, so here you go. Well,
2: I appreciate that, Mary Ellen. You know, as as I've always said, is that a crisis is game day. That's what we train for. That's what we plan for. This this is what we get, are supposed to be ready for and and so you know to me one of the things I've learned through the numerous emergencies and disasters that I've had to dealt with from Katrina and Ike and Harvey and the winter storm Yuri and others is that when emergency managers and you mentioned this a little bit about operations become tactical and have to get into the daily operation and the tactics, we fail. We stop being strategic. And I try to train my staff and understand that when we no longer think strategically and we are absorbed into the daily activity, we fail. And we need to be thinking about tomorrows so that our first responders, those that do the tactics, fire, law enforcement, public health, and so many others that are out there dealing with our community in a crisis can get their job done with the appropriate resources, the appropriate plans, and have been trained to be able to do that. And that was one of the lessons that I learned very early on in in 2000s after 9/11 and then moving into Katrina is that we have to be able to as a field in emergency management think about tomorrow and be successful at that so that today is done by those that deal with it on the ground, in the field, touching those that are in desperate need uh, for assistance.
1: Thanks, Mark. That was a fantastic answer. Allison, you know, the running joke in big city emergency management, uh, to Mary Ellen's point about resources, is that Mark never uh, is just getting resources all the time. He doesn't even have to ask for them. You know, whatever you've been doing, Mark, you keep doing it well. But Let's talk for a second about the Harris County Citizen Corps, an innovative award-winning public preparedness initiative recognized as a national best practice. Mark, can you tell us how Harris County is highlighting community preparedness and how the program evolved and influenced your work in the community? Absolutely. Thank you, Ira, for bringing up
2: Citizen Corps. I mean, after 9-11, there was a conversation uh, that took place in the White House with President Bush on how do we better coordinate communication in all entities, um, not only the federal level, but first responders, but also how do we bring our residents of our community together in order to better respond to the emergencies and disasters they're confronted with on a regular basis, from tornadoes, which we just witnessed, to tropical weather or winter storms and uh, blizzards. It's, It's a gamut. And the Citizen Corps programs actually came together to help provide that opportunity to prepare our community. And we've been recognized, as you mentioned, as a model and a best practice. We've trained over 50,000 individuals in our Community Emergency Response Team program, along with our Volunteers and Police Service program, our Medical Reserve Corps, USA on Watch, and our Fire Corps program. We've been doing that now for 18 years. And I can't believe that it was 18 years ago that we held our first class and had our first 20 graduates. And today with over over 50,000, um, and we continue to grow. And a lot of those have moved on, moved to other parts of the country. And Harris County being 4.7 million people, m- my bosses always tell me I-, I can retire when everyone's trained. I don't ever see training 4.7 million people but my goal is to do it and we're constantly getting our community together in variety of ways to understand what our true risks and threats are and if people learn how to take care of themselves their family and protect their property in a crisis that's one less person that first responders are going to have to deal with in an emergency situation New York is twice as three times bigger than us and We know that San Francisco and LA and all the other jurisdictions equally have a large population, but it's up to the individual to make sure that they take time to be prepared for whatever their risk and threat is. And our citizen Corps program continues to promote that. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because I'm very proud of the successes that we've had in making our community better aware and better prepared for disaster.
1: Fantastic. Just to uh, touch for a moment on, on the question that Allison uh, brought up before about the complexities and the cascading impacts uh, of COVID, I, I wanted to, to reflect for a second on the challenges we faced here in New York City uh, in in looking at some of the uh, issues and how we would factor in the the changes that COVID was was requiring for us. So, uh, especially when we were looking at our summer and heat and uh, the concerns that we always have with uh, heat and and needing to provide cooling opportunities uh, for those in need, we really had to figure out how we were gonna provide those resources and provide those opportunities in a COVID safe fashion. And thinking each step of the way, every single one of our plans, we had a fantastic uh, team here who was thinking about just exactly each one of our plans, how do we pull it together, look at what was going on, and make sure that we could do everything in the right format in the right right way. But let me move on. Mary Ellen, as the executive director of the San Francisco Department of Emergency Management, you oversee operations of San Francisco's 911 center, emergency operations center, and the city's emergency public alert and warning system. San Francisco's Department of Emergency Management also has a robust emergency preparedness campaign, SF72. Please tell us how you lead all of these communication efforts And what is on the horizon for your public warning capabilities?
3: Thanks, Ira. I always am happy to have the opportunity to remind folks of the 9-1 dispatchers who work 24-7, 365 days a year, who never stayed home during the pandemic and, you know, who've continued to serve the city. We we also um, talk about that the very first... Uh, part of our EOC, the very first section that we opened up to support public health for COVID at the time of Corona was our joint information center um, and our public information component. And they are still going um, as our EOC is still activated, but we are planning on deactivating at the end of the year, but our JIC will continue to support the communications. And then, you know, during COVID, one of the things that we learned was, and what we had to do was really become so creative and innovative with how we communicated with folks. So we had an, a very award-winning design, a communications de- design about staying home and wearing a mask. But what we realized, you know, pretty quickly is that it it wasn't resonating with certain parts of our city. And it certainly was not effective as we saw communities of color in San Francisco who were not doing as well as our other communities. So we had to learn how to engage with community to translate the messages. And when I say translate, I don't mean language, although that also, we also obviously translated into different messages. But really to have community present and think about and contribute to how messages need to look what languages they need to be in, and then also like in what format they go out. Because of course we all use our normal social media modes, but frankly, there is a pretty good chunk of our population that don't have smartphones that aren't on Twitter, that don't do social media. And for the most part, those are more vulnerable populations. So I think that both from a preparedness or ongoing preparedness campaigns, we learned a lot but also just during emergence situations that come across, come happen like an earthquake where you live in earthquake country, you know, how we're going to get information out to people is something that we're constantly thinking about. And then just to circle back to the night to 911 in California, you know, our 911 system is pretty archaic. I think I can say that we recently got funding to do sort of the next generation 911, which will be fantastic. But there are huge limitations on what we can do to serve the public in many ways and and also how much redundancy we can have and so technology is both our friend and our foe i think in communication we, we absolutely need to have to upgrade our technology to be able particularly on the 911 side so that we can have the same technology and capacity that Pizza Hut has for delivering pizza that we literally don't have for 911. But also, you know, to think about that, what what about when we don't have technology? So it's like both sides of the point. If we have a major earthquake, something that really affects our infrastructure and we lose comms, how challenging that's going to be. That wasn't the situation for the most part for us under COVID. I know Mark had moments of, of that on top of everything else with the weather and, and crisis that they had in Texas. I think those are the two things. It's like this dance that we do with technology. You need to go all the way to the top and you want to have the best that you can. But at the same time, you have to be analog in order to reach people and save lives and especially the, that of our most vulnerable population. So those are sort of our, um, my, my thoughts about it. I, we have a tremendous team here in San Francisco who have just done incredible work. And you know we're so we're so lucky to have them. Uh, I'm sure that they could go and be incredibly successful with their talents uh, in the public in the private sector, but they're dedicated public servants, and we're, we're very
0: lucky to have them on board. Thank you for that. And from the New York City perspective, I can tell you that you know we've we've seen you know similar challenges in terms of communication. Um, I think one of the successes that we had um, for our municipality was the COVID-19 short code messaging service, which I know San Francisco and many other municipal- municipalities had put into place. Um, so for us, we had close to, I think, 900,000 subscribers in English and in Spanish. We also um, disseminated um, short messages in um, Chinese as well um, to make sure that people were understanding how the city was responding to the pandemic. Um, But, you know, it also, you know, highlights the fact, as you mentioned, that you also need to look at, you know, things from an analog perspective, we have a very robust community engagement team that they not only, um, you know, do in person, you know, events, you know, working with community and faith based organizations and uh, members of the public, but one of the things that many of them had to do was they had to shift and pivot. Um, and go to you know a virtual environment, doing like webinars about emergency preparedness online, so people would have to access the information that way. Um, sometimes it was a matter of making phone calls to um, you know these different stakeholders to provide them with the information as well. Creating you know flyers, um, you know translated into multiple languages, so you're reaching the broadest audience possible. Also looking at the three one one system and looking at um, public messaging. It's a holistic strategy. And you know, Mark said this before, and it's something that I'm also a firm believer in too. You need to have messages that are accurate, that they're timely, that they're coordinated, and that you are working as a previous first deputy commissioner used to say, we're all working off of the same sheet of music.
1: So you know, the the inclusion of the private sector in each step of what we do and and making sure that we're partnering with them in, in the best way possible. One of the great things about big city emergency managers, is we have a uh, we have sponsors that we work with uh, who represent some of the larger uh, organizations, T-Mobile, Target, Esri, really, really great private sector partners who come to the table to work with us. They're interested in understanding the challenges that we have, but we're just as interested in understanding the issues that the private sector faces so that we can go back and, and work in our, in our municipalities, in our various cities, to make sure that we're leveraging the, the resources that had, they have, not just material resources, but their ability to communicate with their employees, a trusted communication pathway for us to be able to share that message that we have uh, and through their networks and to, to broaden our, uh, uh, our reach of, of our particular messages. So it's really exciting to hear the, the work that that, uh, that Mark, you and, and Mary Ellen are doing with the, uh, the private sector as well.
0: So to bring it all home, We were talking earlier about how emergency management is a growing profession. So this question is for all of you, and Ira, I'm going to start with you on this. Where do you see the field in the next few years and beyond?
1: Wow, growing the growing profession of emergency management. I I see it in in its professionalization uh, stage, really moving away from just emergency management being something that uh, a retired cop or a retired firefighter. Uh, moved into because they could deal with emergencies, but but really seeing, seeing it as something that people will choose actively to engage in as they get their education, realizing that there's so much that an emergency manager can bring to the table um, in terms of strategic thinking, in terms of organization, and in terms of communication capability. The reality is that, that we need to continue to improve our ability to share the information that we have. Uh, in in a, in a timely way, but also in a way that people will will understand and appreciate and take action on. So I think there there are many steps and many uh, resources that are being brought to bear by new graduates from the many emergency management programs uh, out there that are that are really bringing new technology to the focus of emergency management and not just a, 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 an afterthought.
0: Excellent points, Mark. What about you?
2: Well, I think that. You know, as we look at emergency management, it's been evolving um, really for decades um, from you know, civil defense era of what we thought was a singular risk and threat and evolving through the 90s with FEMA. And then in a post 9-11 world, it's continuing to evolve. Some areas of the country have evolved much quicker than the rest of the country. And I think it's come to a point, the pandemic has proven this, that every emergency manager and partnership that needs to be established at the local level is coordinated through that office. We need to professionalize, as Ira mentioned, the field across all jurisdictions. As major metropolitan areas, we have dedicated departments and offices with staff. That can't be said for some of our other cities. That can't be said for some of our smaller townships uh, throughout the country. It's a duty as assigned, and it shouldn't be. Emergency management has been proven to be a catalyst of relationship building and partnerships directly from the elected official to the residents in which we are responsible for. So, over the next few years, I see the emergency management field growing. We've seen it at universities across the country having emergency management programs, more people talking about emergency management as a profession rather than a duty as assigned. The question that we ask is why do we do what we do? Is because our partners expect that. Our elected officials demand it. And most importantly, our residents deserve it. And that's where emergency management needs to evolve to, an understanding of what is it that we do and why.
3: So I'm happy to jump in. I agree with, with Ira and Mark. I, I think that we're going to see an expansion of, of the, we are already seeing an expansion of the field, if, if our own, my experience with my colleagues is any evidence and, and here in San Francisco. I also think that we need to reconsider, uh, or well, not really reconsider. I think we need to expand the the definition and really look at the requirements um, of experience for people in the field. We know that we need more. I I believe we need more diversity in the in the field. I think we've typically in the past seen. Folks come into this field from either law enforcement or the fire service, which is great. We need those folks, um, sometimes the military. The types of problems, as we've been discussing here, that emergency management is tasked to help support and resolve, are becoming more complex. Um, it isn't just terrorist events, but like that, even that has become more complicated. We know that it's really all of these constant emergencies that we have, and cascading impacts of those, and really the impacts on our society of climate change and extreme weather and civil unrest. Not to mention, you know, a global pandemic that is going seemingly going to endure for a while. So, you know, I, I think that we need to have build on our successes. Definitely strengthen our core uh, our core skills, but also expand so that we get uh, more people to the field with different kinds of backgrounds. When you talk to people in emergency management, I guarantee you that 9 out of 10 people, if not more, <laughs> ended up in the field somewhat accidentally. And not necessarily like that was their course of study and what they wanted to do. And that's great. I think we'll see more people that are looking at it as, as a discipline, but I think there is a benefit to bringing people into the field that have a more diverse background because the diversity of the problems that we're dealing with are only growing. So I think it's very exciting. Um, it's, it. It's exhausting, um, but I, but I do think it's it's a fantastically exciting field to be involved in, and I you know look forward to seeing how things go for the remainder of my career. So thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak to it.:
0: Thank you. as someone who landed in the emergency management profession by accident, so to speak, um, I can attest to the fact that the profession is growing and evolving, but there, you know, it is, you know, what we've seen, um, we still have a ways to go. Um, and I think that for this field in particular, the goal is to make it fair and equitable for all, which in turn makes our, our work throughout the disaster cycle fair and equitable for all. So speaking with Mark Sloan and Mary Ellen Carroll of Big City Emergency Managers, it is rapid response time and if you are a first time listener it's simple prep talk will ask questions and our guests will give the first answer that comes to mind but before rapid response here is a message from Notify NYC
3: New Yorkers love to be the first to know
2: That's why the city of New York has Notify NYC so you can be the first to know when an emergency happens there's a fire in your neighborhood, or the weather takes a turn for the worse. Stay informed with Notify NYC. Get the free app today for your Apple or Android device. You can also visit nyc.gov slash notifynyc, call 311, or follow Notify NYC on Twitter. Because a notified New Yorker is a prepared New Yorker.
3: You're listening to Prep Talk, the Emergency Management Podcast. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response.
0: Okay, we are back for rapid response time. Uh, first question we are going to start with Ira, then go to Mark, and then Mary Ellen. What is one emergency item you can't live without? And please do not say your smartphone.
1: That's a great question. I would say my, a flashlight. I Everywhere I go, I have some sort of flashlight uh, tucked away because I just don't want to end up in the dark.
2: I'm gonna have to go with water. I've delivered billions of bottles of water to people that didn't have any, and uh, that is going to be my response. I can't live without water.
3: Okay, this is probably cheating a little bit, but a backup battery. Or my flashlight, (laughs) which is also my smartphone.
1: What do you consider your best success in the field? Let's start with you, Mark.
2: My best success would probably be I'm I'm a calming influence uh, to my staff and along with my elected officials.
0: Should I ask what your blood pressure is like?
2: Depends on how much coffee I have.
3: Similarly, a calm demeanor, demeanor. Uh, but also a good um, a good portion of vulnerability. So I'm calm, but I also like to share with folks where, you know, my own fears or how I deal, how I, when I go home, how I deal with uh, the stress of the day. I think that we all, um, all of our, especially during, since COVID, um, being, being both strong, but showing vulnerability, I think leads to people trusting you more, but also accepting their own vulnerability and seeing, seeing that they're human and need to take care of themselves
1: also. You know, I would say that, uh, my best success personally has been, uh, much like Mary Ellen said that being able to, uh, maintain my relationships with my family, uh, throughout the, uh, the various cycles of emergencies that we've had, and being able to um, always rely on them to to round me, uh, so that I could uh, and support me, so that I can I could focus on the work when when we need to focus on the work, but uh, enjoy enjoy uh, family when um, uh, when the time is appropriate. Name something you learned on the job you never knew beforehand. Mary Ellen, let's start with you.
3: Oh, sorry. Uh, where the best places to find porta potties. I that, think it's uh, important. very, very important.
2: Mark, how about you? Well, Mary Ellen, I don't know how to follow that, but all right. Something that I learned on the job is that in emergency management, it's never the same day twice. Every day is a new opportunity to learn and grow because you come in to the office, not realizing that something like this was going to happen. I'm going to go back to the the question is that on the job, this isn't a job, it's a career. And people in emergency management have the coolest jobs and a career that they never even anticipated. So something that I learned uh, on the job is that it turned into a career and that I've never done the same thing twice.
1: That's that's fantastic, Mark. I have to say uh, something that I learned recently through the COVID experience, uh, working working on supply chain challenges, is just how complicated it is to, to, to really um, get stuff in the United States of America. And um, the appreciation I have for uh, uh, just-in-time delivery the the, the the number of, of steps involved in bringing stuff in from overseas and getting it to your front door is something that I, I didn't appreciate beforehand that I have a much greater appreciation for now.
0: I love Mark's answer about it's not a job, it's a career. Basically this field shows you, you probably underestimate yourself um, because there are times that you'll turn around and you're able to you know have a success that you would have never expected before. Um, and you know, my thing is, is that I've always known that there were no two uh, days that are the same, um, but the fact that I've been able to roll with it and I didn't ask you know anybody else what their blood pressure looks like, but mine has always been pretty low. Um, so the fact that I'm able to be in this field and have low blood pressure, that's a win for me. Okay, last but not least, sum up the future of emergency management in one word. Mark, we'll start with you.
2: Well, I wrote down a few of them figuring that I wouldn't go first and that Ira and Mary Ellen would already have absorbed the other words. So I'm going to start with the easy one. The few, you know, some of the future of Emerge Management, it's about partnerships.
0: Love it. Mary Ellen. Expansion. Ira, what about you?
1: Opportunity. you.
0: Fantastic. Speaking with Mark Sloan, Mary Ellen Carroll, and my co-pilot, co-host, um, and special guest Ira Tannenbaum. Thank you all for this very important conversation on emergency management across every jurisdiction. We sincerely appreciate the time.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mary Ellen.
0: That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.